Open mine eyes that I may see Glimpses of truth thou hast for me Open mine eyes, illumine me Spirit divine Love of my life, I am crying I am not dying, I am dancing Dancing along in the madness There is no sadness like to invite you to a soul-level encounter. Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That's what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. You will hear the music that has charted the steps of their spiritual journey, that has provided a touchstone in the soul's dark night and sung the heart's awe and joy when come to the light. Over the next hour, you will be a witness and companion to our guests' spiritual path and sacred testimony. Welcome to Song of the Soul. privilege today to have, joining us for Song of the Soul, Claudia Schmidt. Claudia is a folk singer, a jazz singer, a poetry proclaimer, and she is uniquely herself, a treat on stage or in a personal visit. She's got a lot of recordings under her belt, and she joins us today from the East Coast. Claudia, thanks for joining me for Song of the Soul. It's a pleasure you're out in the Far East right now, aren't you? I don't mean China, but, you know, the U.S. is... The Far East. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the far, farther than Midwest East. <laughs> Are you a Midwest baby? Oh, yeah. I was born in Detroit and grew up near there, so Michigan native. You're still in Michigan now, but you went elsewhere. You went to school in Green Bay, didn't you? I did for a couple of years. I was on the road. I ran away with a theater group after high school and traveled all over the country with them. And then I lived in Chicago, which is where I got started in music full-time. And then I went back to school in Green Bay. And then I moved to Seattle for a couple of years. I lived in Milwaukee for seven years. So I've been on the move until I got back. Well, Claudia, I asked you to provide me with the music that speaks of your spiritual path, journey, and beliefs. And you sent me a wonderful, diverse set of music. Let's start right into that music. And I'm going to ask you to provide the background of your life as we go through your music. The first song you picked was The Moment They Knew. Why did you pick this one for your Song of the Soul? 
I think because it sort of comes out of the uh, time, the 10 years I was living on Beaver Island when I moved back to Michigan and was an innkeeper. A lot of the people who came to the bed and breakfast were couples having a honeymoon or an anniversary. And what I learned, well, I, first of all, it speaks to my soul because I found I really loved being an innkeeper. It felt a lot of people sort of assumed it was a huge digression from my path as an artist, and I always felt as though it was just, it was coming from the same creative font. It was just another way of expressing my desire to sort of touch people and communicate with people. It was just doing it on a very tangible, day-to-day, one-on-one basis. And what I discovered is people love to be asked the question, how did the two of you get together? And that was sort of the springboard. And I just I have to uh, say that most of the songs I write aren't, even if they're in the first person or whatever, I take a lot of poetic license. I'm not a direct reporter kind of writer. So even the, the stories that come up in the song are not directly from the people I talk to, but they kind of went into the hopper and, and came out in this form. So it's, it's a, there's a sort of transmutation that goes on. And so it was my way of, I think of it as my thank you note to the people who passed through and shared those stories. How could you be an innkeeper and do all that touring and traveling that your musical career involves? Didn't you have to be at home all the time? I was traveling a lot less during that time. And how much do you travel, or have you traveled in the past? Have you been on the full-time music circuit as well? I think you passed near Eau Claire last fall sometime, didn't you, as part of a trio of performers? Yes, close by. Last summer, last August, actually, I was up the road. Well, I'm on the road probably again now. I've escalated again uh, since getting back, so it's probably about half the year. The on-tour life is, from my point of view at least, a really disorienting life. Uh, I travel periodically with a group of Quaker folk dancers. How is it for you? What kind of life do you live now, and how, above all, do you stay centered while you're touring? Well, I think the thing about being older is you have more of a sense of pacing, so I don't tend to get as probably as spun out as I did when I was younger. I'm able to uh, take the time I need to sort of regenerate, you know, whether it means staying in a motel instead of at somebody's house that I don't know because I need that time to myself. I know how to make those calls better now. In that way, it's probably easier to be on the road now than it was when I was younger. The next song, The Moment They Knew, is from your CD, Spinning. What's the theme of that collection, or what's it about? I don't really have specific themes around a whole CD, but I think probably this is my first recording in a while of my folk-based stuff, the newer stuff I've been writing. So CDs are more than anything, they're an archive of what I've been writing. So in that sense, it's a, a general field of what's been going on in a more fundamental way because I had been out of the performing scene for a while and it's been kind of a struggle getting back, not for me, but to rebuild momentum It's a way of saying, hey, you guys, I'm still out here. I'm still cranking. I'm still kicking. So it's a hopefully sort of call out to people because a lot of people lost track of me during those years. I was on the island working with the B&B, and then my husband and I also had a restaurant. So it was a whole different life there, and there are a lot of people showing up at concerts these days, you know, who between them starting families and then my being away for a while, they haven't seen me in at least 20 years. So a lot of a lot of reconnecting going on this last couple of years on the road, which has been really fun. One of the things that I note about the song, Claudia, is that its tone is, it's almost ominous. Uh, 
as if it were predicting the storms and struggles that were going to happen, something like that. Like one of the lines is, the storm will pass and you'll be standing ready to dance. Is that how you feel about love? Oh, definitely. And I think in terms of talking to a lot of the people who came through the B&B, especially the ones having, you know, anniversaries after a few decades of marriage, that, that definitely figured highly into it. It's a very deeply textured process. Here's, here's, a good, here's a line that I often introduce the song with. It's a line from a Yevtushenko poem. There are ex-husbands and ex-wives, but there are no ex-loves. That's a good way to start it off. The song is The Moment They Knew by Claudia Schmidt, here with me today for Song of the Soul. It was foggy and wet and gloomy the moment they knew. They love the irony in that the utter clarity blasting through. That was years ago, but decades later they still can recall Sweetness flowing into the moment they knew they would fall They were tired and sore and sweaty Pitching camp, a small fire struggling the day's journey through. They saw those huge old trees leaning together so far above. They leaned into the moment they knew they were in love. Through the losses, the change. Moment they knew that love had brought them home. 
Was the moment they knew, the sweetheartful voice is that of Claudia Schmidt, who's with me today, sharing her song of the soul. When I say that she's with me, I mean electronically, not in the physical sense, because Claudia, you're out in Cape Cod right now, right? Yes. And what are you doing there? In about a week, I start up a bunch of gigs for the rest of the month, but I have a good friend who lives out here, and so I came out right after Christmas to kind of spend New Year's and just uh, have a little vacation before the work. It's kind of fun. That's the nice thing about traveling now is I appreciate, I try to appreciate the travel part of it. So there was that point in my life where I was on the road eight, nine months of the year, and I was hitting these one-nighters everywhere, and so you're traveling all the time, but you don't, you don't necessarily feel like you're, you're really seeing much of anything. So this is my chance to sort of really hang out in the east a little bit and have a change of scenery. I imagine that you've made friends scattered all across the country with all your touring. I understand you're staying with Betsy right now. Is she one of those friends that goes back to the decades that you've traveled? No, not so far back. Actually, a more recent friend, but one of those people that you connect with that you just kind of feel like you're uh, picking up the thread from. I don't know, some other life or something. <laughs> She's actually the woman who plays oboe behind a couple of the poems on Rhodes. That's her playing oboe. I don't find your music to be at all preachy, I guess. But this next song that you've selected for your Song of the Soul has a really strong, clear moral lesson uh, for us. Be nice. Is this one of those lessons that you received in your childhood? Like, be nice, Claudia. Well, of course, the song is sung with tongue inserted firmly in cheek, because that's the point. You can't be pushy about being nice, so the whole, the whole song is, is sort of a send-up in and of itself. But it's sort of, yeah, it's, it's, my, it's my sort of plea to, or acknowledgement of the breakdown of civil society, particularly, it seems like, around political issues these days and, and the polarization that's occurred that makes it difficult to carry on a conversation or makes people afraid to even start a conversation a lot of times these days. So I wanted to acknowledge it, but I didn't want to be preachy or lugubrious about it. That's the whole point. So it took me a while. I had this of thinking about how I wanted to address this issue. And so, so this whole form of this almost like a show tune or, or English music hall song form seemed to be the perfect way to do it because there's, there's sort of a lot of built-in self-deprecation in the whole thing, too. And so I felt like I was able to get my point across and not get preachy. Although you've lived in Michigan and Wisconsin, it sounds like you've never actually lived in Minnesota. And, of course, they're famous for Minnesota nice. Do you feel like you've encountered that same culture in the rest of the Midwest? Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. You know, wherever you're dealing with towns and communities, and although the Midwest is certainly the 
stereotypical embodiment. Probably, in a way, I ran into it on the West Coast even more when I moved out there. People were so nice, it was almost sickening. <laughs> and that's saying a lot coming from a Midwesterner. <laughs> the name, the theme of the song is Be Nice. I don't suppose that you have your own Claudia Schmidt equivalent of the Ten Commandments, or, as the Unitarians would say, the Ten Requests, or... Suggestions. Whatever. <laughs> the ten suggestions. <laughs> right, right. The ten suggestions. Do you have a personal sense of what constitutes an important, I don't know, moral imperative? I don't know. Morality is is a, is a sort of a slippery thing, and but I think these days I'm thinking about kindness more than anything. Is especially I heard last year I heard a statistic on some and it was public radio that. They did a survey of people, and over 60% of the people surveyed equated kindness with weakness. And I found that really disturbing. So that's sort of my word right now, is, or my hope, is to retrieve a, a sense of just kindness. The next song we're listening to is from Claudia Schmidt's album Spinning, and it's called Be Nice. Line stomped upon your shoe, and some children in the neighborhood covered your car with crazy glue. And then some guy flipped you the bird when he cut you off today. Be nice, dear, it's the only way. Be nice, it's the bee's knees. Try saying, shut your pie hole, please. So the telemarketer got a little snippy. Yes, that's true, but who knows? Maybe she took a cue or two from you. Light could have killed you, but oh well, be nice, cause not to be nice is hell. Be nice, it's a habit to be sure, but then again, so serial murder. Well, I know you have the option to shake your fist and curse, but that's just the beginning to a scene that could be worse. You probably have a gun in there, and God only knows what more. Why blow your cool and break that rule to settle some stupid score? Someone let the air out of your tires just last night You're feeling a little paranoid You're itching for a fight You suspect that it's your brother-in-law But you haven't any proof Be nice, don't perforate his roof Be nice, take a deep breath Help prevent another untimely death So your neighbor's a racist, sexist, crabby, curmudgeonly SOB a lovely pole barn, but it's on your property. You'll get the sweetest revenge when you tell him what to do. You tell him be nice to me, okay, or I'll sue. So blow your top, give him a bop, smile and say, have a nice day. Which is worse, in the end, it's up to you, my silly friend. I know we drive each other nuts and sometimes hate each other's guts. Please be nice. 
That was Be Nice by Claudia Schmidt, who has joined us here today for Song of the Soul. I'm Mark Helpsmeet, your host for this NorthernSpiritRadio.org production, and we've got Claudia on the phone over in Cape Cod. You know, Claudia, I'm not really sure what my reaction is to that song. You know, part of me, because it's kind of upbeat, even kind of uh, body air that you do it in, part of me wants to go out and do something mischievous, like, you know, like let air out of someone's tires because, you know, it's like I'm being taunted. That's the whole point, you know, because that's, I mean, that's my point is that I find myself as nice as we try to be as sort of as much as we try not to get sucked into the vortex of this confrontational atmosphere that we find ourselves in so often, especially if you're a naturally mouthy person that tends to have quick comebacks. It's always a challenge. I mean, it's continually a challenge. And that's kind of why I wrote the song like that in that really edgy way. Are you one of those mouthy people who always has a comeback, a comment ready in hand? Oh, yeah, that's been an MO of mine for a long time. I'm not assuming anything about how religious you are or are not right now, but I was wondering, were you raised at all religiously or spiritually of any sort? Yeah, and it was the kind of thing where, uh, you know, I had parents who basically left it up to the kids, and I actually had a strong affinity. I mean, it was I went to the Lutheran Church because that happened to be where they took me. It wasn't because we, we had any big dogmatic leanings. And I mainly, I mainly went to church because of the choirs. That's mainly what I was doing. Is I, just, I took every opportunity to sing when I was growing up that I could, and so that was a, a natural outlet. And that was kind of at the heart of it for me. That was always the spiritual part of it for me was the singing. You know, Claudia, I have a hard time visualizing you as one of the angelic voices in a girl choir. Oh, no, I grew up, I was in, at one point I was probably in six choirs. That was my whole vocal foundation, because that was my only outlet growing up in a small town. So I was in every permutation of choral singing that could be gotten into. <laughs> well, some of your experience in the not-too-distant past has been at the Dakota Tell us about the Dakota and about this recording that you made there. Well, it's a jazz club in Minneapolis, a jazz club and a restaurant. It's actually been around for a long time, uh, 20 years, but it has moved a few times. This recent location it's been at for now, I think, about five years, right downtown, Nicolette Avenue, really high-end, wonderful food and a real bona fide jazz club, you know, not a restaurant that has music in the background. I mean, they get a lot of big, the big jazz names coming through on tour come there. And, and I have known the guy who runs it for a long time. In fact, did a couple of early gigs there when I was, he kind of let me work there a few times when I was first starting to sing more jazz, kind of let me woodshed a little bit and bring in a trio and work on my jazz chops, basically. So it's been really great to be able to come in there. My buddy Dean McGraw, who I've worked with years on my folk stuff, and we've gigged together a lot over the years, had him kind of hook me up with a group of musicians that he likes to work with. It was quite exciting because when we did the recording, I I had never met the guys before, and we had one about two-hour rehearsal, and then we did the recording, and we had one night. So it was just, it was really out there on a limb, and I love that. I love working like that. I thought my head was going to fly off a few times that night. It was a great experience, and a very responsive audience, and 
most fun for me because I've done a couple of other jazz recordings over the last few years, but this is the first one that incorporates so much of my original material in the jazz setting, so it it feels like uh, a kind of synthesis of everything I've been doing, which is what music continually challenges me to do is, you know, go into new territory and then how do I connect it with the old, what stays, what goes. It's an endlessly fascinating process. The first song that you picked from the Dakota collection is called Another Love Gone Bad. Is this autobiographical? Oh, no, not at all. Well, then, did you get to witness it? Only in my fantasies. I actually wrote it on a napkin while I was waiting for dinner one night. It just was this little story that unfolded while I was waiting for dinner before a gig. <laughs> and from your point of view, what is the purpose of this song? Why are you singing it? So I think it's a cautionary tune about the perils of jealousy, of possessiveness and jealousy, of love that it's maybe the difference between people who look at jealousy as a sign of affection and those who look at it as a sign of infection. <laughs> And so, Dr. Claudia is recommending for us. (laughs) She's recommending for us a look at our side as Love Goes Bad. It's called Another Love Gone Bad, and it's from Claudia Schmitz, live at the Dakota Collection. She went without you to the movies She stayed until the credits finished She laughed out loud with wild abandon That wasn't quite what you had planned on And she needs you to want her You want your devotion And she needs your emotion You both want what can be had Looks like another love gone bad She took herself out for a nightcap Laughed with some strangers Made some chit-chat She stayed out late and didn't think twice her arm and say, don't do that. Remember, that's what you were drawn to. You were once the stranger. Now she can't turn the charm off, and it just sets your alarm off. Now she's gone, and you're just mad. Looks like another love gone bad. You tried to change the things in Some flowers make a phone call. You let her know the noose 
That was another Love Gone Bad, one more very sad story. Oh, well, part of life, I guess. Let's barge right on to your next song, Claudia. It's called A Drink with Jane. Is Jane one of your friends, Claudia? Uh, one with whom you commiserate about the love's gone bad? Or, or is this even actually a song that you wrote? 
No, it's not. What I really love about it, it was written by Shelley Posen. He lives in Ottawa, Ontario. He wrote this such a sweet little song about friendship between women. And the whole gist of the song, it was uh, he had been listening to a lot of Cole Porter hanging around the house, and his wife called one day late in the afternoon and said, start dinner without me, I'm having a drink with Jane. He just loved that line, the cadence of the line, and he had all this Cole Porter juju going on in him, and uh, he ended up writing that sweet little song, which I just fell in love with the first time I heard it and knew that I wanted to learn it right away. It sounds like you're no longer an innkeeper, Claudia. Where do you live? You know, in the city, in the country? What's the setup? Well, I live in Traverse City, Michigan, which is a small, it's about 15,000 people in northern Michigan. And I live close to town, which is good because I'm traveling so much these days that when I'm home, I can do a lot of my errands walking and not be in the car all the time. But it's easy to get into the country from where I am. So it's a good, it's a good, uh, pretty healthy environment to be living in. One of your songs that is near and dear to my wife, and to me as well, is Quetico. And my wife included it as one of the songs she picked for her song of the soul. It's about the wilderness boundary water canoeing area up in Canada, as of course you know. Are you still a canoeist, uh, outdoor wild woman, that kind of thing? I love Quetico. I have not been canoeing in a long time. My life has just not allowed for that kind of traveling. But I definitely spend a lot of time in the outdoors and the woods and hiking, that kind of thing, because I, I need it. For a lot of people, the place we mo- connect most deeply with is not a building, not human habitations or churches, whatever, but where we most reliably connect is in nature, in the woods. Where do you find that deep-centered place? Definitely in the woods, definitely in the woods, definitely on the beach, definitely by the water. I mean, there's a difference when you're, I mean, there's that group spirit that, and that's the singing thing, and then there's the more solitary communing, and, and that's what happens for me in, in the woods, which is why I never would really want to go on a big, giant group hike or canoe trip. I mean, even just going out and snowshoeing, I don't, all the groups that go out together, that doesn't really appeal to me. When I go out there, I want to be, really be by myself. I suppose you might delve into that deep nature place all alone, or maybe go there with Jane. The song is A Drink with Jane, performed here by Claudia Schmidt. When my day's work is done And it hasn't been fun And I need someone cool to come and say I know what I'm primed for I know that it's time for Having a drink What's pissing me off is the gang at the office And work is befogging my brain Ooh, the thing that I pray for The end of the day for Is having a drink with Jane Now some crave their tater-tater Vodka, tomato juice With Tabasco and At the right place and time That decor is too bright And a waiter's half tight 
A Drink with Jane, done by Claudia Schmidt, guest here for Song of the Soul. I'm your host, Mark Helpsmeet, and you can hear us again, post comments, check out our links, order CDs on my website, northernspiritradio.org. We welcome your comments and responses. Claudia, is there any person in your own life who is your personal Jane, who, like that in the song, do you have a name for her in your own circle of friends? 
Well, I would say where I am right now in my pal Betsy's house is uh, very deeply one of my genes. <laughs> There's a great quote about friendship that I stumbled on recently. I think it was attributed to Aristotle, which, which goes, Wishing to be friends is quick work, but friendship is a slow ripening fruit. And isn't it great to give friendship the time to ripen? Well, let's go on. You, as a performer, when you're on stage, you're just totally yourself. I don't think I've ever seen another performer do quite what you do on stage. Among other things, as part of your concerts, you regularly do the performance of poetry, since as far back as I can remember, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And you put out a collection of entirely spoken word pieces called Roads. What led you to put this collection together? Well, I had been getting requests from people. A lot of people have fallen in love with the poems over the years. In fact, a lot of times after concerts, I'll get as much or more feedback and questions about the poetry I've done than, than the songs I've done. I had, on a couple of earlier recordings, kind of mixed a little poetry in with the music, but I never was that crazy about the way it worked out on, on recording when people are sitting down to hear music, they want to hear music. But in the meantime, people kept asking about these pieces. So it really was just, an, again, an archive of the spoken word that I'd been working into my shows for years so that it would all be in one place. So it was, I did it just more for my longtime poetry fans so that it, they would have it. They could sit down and listen to it to their heart's content. We've already mentioned about you going to the university at Green Bay. Were you an English major there? Oh, no, I was never an English major. But you've got all this poetry you do. Where did your poetry interests and skills come from, or is it just, you know, native for you? I mean, I know that a lot of music, vocal music, is part poetry, but where did your interest and the nurture for your poetry come from? Well, I started writing poetry as a little kid. I was I was always a poetry lover. Then tell us about the poem Red Winged Blackbird. How is this part of your Song of the Soul? Red Winged Blackbird came out of the time when I was on the road all the all the time, eight or nine months out of the year, most mostly driving and and actually Wisconsin figures into that because a lot of my early touring was in Wisconsin. I spent a lot of time on those Wisconsin country roads and it was just seeing that harbinger of spring in those fallow fields somewhere in Wisconsin. I can't remember exactly where it was. It just solidified. That moment just solidified for me just getting on to the next place in life and the next season. And it's a sight that is universally just charges everybody's soul a little bit, you know, when in fact when I, I'll just launch into that poem and all you have to do is say those words, one red-winged blackbird in a field of gold, and you'll see people just kind of go, oh, yeah. You can just see it in their bodies. <laughs> Usually, when I've seen you perform poetry, it's without any kind of musical background or backup. But this collection of poems has that. And in particular, this one has a beautiful imitation of bird song. Who's providing that musical backup for this song? Well, that is my friend Betsy on the oboe. You know, I've never really thought of the oboe as a creator of birdsong, but Betsy does a beautiful job on this. Could you just pass on to Betsy for me just my appreciation of the beautiful flight of music that she does in this piece? <laughs> I sure will. 
Let's listen to a bit of performance poetry by Claudia Schmidt. The poem is Red Wing Blackbird. One red-winged blackbird in a field of gold is all these eyes need behold to worship. Song trembling upon the lip of wonder made tangible by the kiss of thunder of rain to a heart all racked with pain. And so quickly over as begun, a slow joy spreads through sad hearts and heads of those who had forgotten to suppose the meaning of one slender stalk leaning barely beneath what confronts eyes squarely the bold presence of one red-winged blackbird in a field of gold. That was Red Winged Blackbird by my guest, Claudia Schmidt. Claudia, are you a bird watcher type person? Oh, yeah. I've, yeah, I've always loved the birds. They're kind of uh, my sort of spirit animal. In fact, that was one of my early quotes that became the title of a documentary that was done about me in St. Paul, which was the line I sing because I can't fly. <laughs> so I do uh, really love the birds. You know, I have to kind of take issue with you there, Claudia. Seeing a Claudia Schmidt concert is both an ethereal and it's a bit like taken to the air <laughs> even without your flights of fancy. So I don't really think you should deceive people by suggesting that you're earthbound. <laughs> well, thank you for that. <laughs> well, let's go right on to the next piece you've selected. This is poetry again, but it's not a piece that you wrote yourself, but somehow you must connect pretty strongly with it to include it in your Song of the Soul. What's your connection to basic hygiene? Well, the, the author of that, Louisa Leverage Gallus, who is a very, one, of my, one of my deepest, deepest friends, longtime friends, she lives in Milwaukee, is an incredible poet. I have done several of her poems over the years, worked them into my shows, because she just has a an amazing way of writing poetry that spoken aloud is is just delightful and deep and fun and funny. Again, it was when I first read that poem, I knew it was one that that I wanted to learn. It's just that again that like snapshot of a moment in your early life. It's such a clear and beautiful moment of knowing that your life has been changed forever and a celebration of that, you know, and again, and also an acknowledgement of an elder and how important elders are in our lives. I mean, it just, it covers so many territories. I mean, that's another poem that when I get done with it in a concert, there's just, you just hear this sigh. There's like this, it's more of a, people don't tend to break into applause. They tend to just sigh at the end of it. I love that. I love that people feel like that. In basic hygiene, She's talking about Ethel, who's a kind of a salt-of-the-earth type person, and Ethel's connection with the earth, with dirt, and how life has a 
has these deep and grimy secrets. Did you pick this poem, at least in part, because you connect with Earth in that deep and grimy way? Well, I think when she goes home as a child and has those dreams, it's that it's just, it's a new world. I mean, it's, the, it's about the mystery. It's all about the mystery to me. Well, then let's get right on to the mystery. The poem is Basic Hygiene by Louisa Leverage Gallus, done by Claudia Schmidt. Ethel Dahir always had dirt underneath her fingernails. Even on Sundays, when we went to her house for pie made from strawberries right out of her garden, and coffee, well, the grown-ups drank cup after cup while Ethel squeezed me lemonade in a tall blue glass with clouds of ice. It was fascinating how Ethel didn't totally wash up before our visit. I'd sneak looks at her strange hands, which I supposed were because Ethel lived in the country and had married a farmer during the Depression. Absolutely salt of the earth, my mom would always say as we drove toward Ethel and away from town. Reddish brown, like good rock. The backs of Ethel's hands made the teacup fingers of city ladies seem pale as slugs. Dark blue veins were merging rivers that fed into her torn knuckles, full of new scratches and tiny scars. I'd run my eyes along her lined, rough fingers until there they were, her jagged nails and the dirt beneath, which would leave me to wonder about basic hygiene and the pie. Like, did she really clean the strawberries? Or had they gone into the cooking pot with just a little dirt left on them, too? I would go home and dream of Ethel's hands, of how life had gross and fertile secrets beyond my mother's house, and wake up queasy like when I'd see earthworms' slimy bodies on the sidewalks after heavy rain. One Sunday visit, Ethel took me out to dig potatoes after a sun shower. Enough of all this chatting, she said. Now's just the best time to stick your hand into the earth and poke around till you get a good-sized one and loosen it up. Kneeling, she took those mysterious fingers of hers worked them into the ground, wet from rain and warm, just to give me the feel for digging. I fell to my knees in my fancy clothes with a sudden thirst for the earth, plunged in my arms alongside Ethel. And in that moment, when she pulled up out of the dirt, right then, Ethel's hands flew into my soul like the book of Revelation. I knew. I knew that all summer long, Ethel wore the earth like her Sunday clothes.
that's Basic Hygiene, and Claudia Schmidt is joining us today from Cape Cod, where she's stocking up on energy and relaxation before heading out on tour. Where is this tour supposed to take you to, Claudia? Oh, I've got several gigs in New England and Massachusetts. I'll be in Hartford, and I've got one gig up in Schenectady, New York. The rest of it's mostly around Massachusetts, and then I end up in Toronto on my way back home. Are you still a roadie? I mean, do you, will you drive for this tour, or will you be flying from place to place? Oh, no, I'm driving, because I have my dog with me. I suppose that does make sense, then. Well, could you introduce us to your dog? Her name is Emma. She's about 10 years old, and when I can take her with me, I do. She's very good company. Gets me out off my butt and out walking more than I might otherwise. So it's a good symbiotic relationship. Onward we go to the last bit that you've selected for your Song of the Soul, another piece of poetry from Rhodes. Terminal hors d'oeuvre. Hors d'oeuvre being French, of course, for appetizer. Are you a French speaker? No, just fits and starts, like most of us are. (laughs) What's the theme of or the idea behind this one, and why did you include it in your Song of the Soul? It's a poem that's always fun for me to do because it's sort of an unequivocal poem about ambivalence. There's a bit of a paradox there that I find really appealing, especially in our modern lives, you know, getting into and out of relationships. There are all these complications because, you know, people don't have to get married anymore, be in relationships for all the traditional economic reasons. There are all these independent spirits who are doing all these independent things and I mean, I just, I've seen so many friends just waffle and go back and forth and struggle between being an I-me and a we-me, and so it's my way of trying to sort of encapsulate that threshold that we find ourselves on, that we're, that we're called, that we're, you know, longing to sort of fall into this relationship, and, but there are always a million reasons why we shouldn't, especially in, the, we get so cerebral about everything and, and analytical And I remember years ago talking to a friend who had been in in this just in-and-out relationship for the longest, longest time. And then, you know, finally I talked to him and he said, well, you know, we're going to get married. And I said, well, do you love her? And he kind of sighed and he said, well, she processes well. (laughs) And I'm thinking, oh, brother. (laughs) So this poem is sort of trying to make a little picture of that, you know, and just trying to make a picture of that energy, you know, of that incredible kind of vortex of unknowing. So it was a a fun poem to write, and it's always a fun poem to do, too. Is this also your personal experience of this love, this relationship stuff? It certainly has been at points over the years, definitely, definitely. And the the only thing that's worse than feeling it yourself is having it come back at you. Why is it called terminal hors d'oeuvre? Well, because the whole reference to the entire thing is about this kind of feasting, you know, and so you're, the whole thing is this invitation, you know, to the picnic, to the feasting, but at the same time, it's so ominous for this person, you know, so it just seemed like a good way to sort of sum up what's going on in the whole thing. Is this hors d'oeuvre terminal? <laughs> sometimes it is, sometimes it is. And this is a piece of poetry by Claudia Schmidt called Terminal Hors d'Oeuvre. We so delicately 
thump the shell of this thing called by some love. We sniff, worry, taste, spit out, taste again its skin, washed clean with tears of our histories each, and yet so newly inscrutable. What is in there? Is it darkness or light which pulls, repels? How deeply may two taste without penetrating to its core? Is the danger in penetration or polite deferral to safety? To taste deeply or simply lay it aside? We so tremulously peruse invitation to divine picnicking. We would neither of us starve to refuse this morsel. There will be others, as there always have been, less puzzling, not so strange. But curiosity has us poised with this thing resting in our hands, joined to explore surface and denseness. Curiosity and the sheer beauty of this thing and the way we feel it resonate whenever we really let go with a laugh. <laughs> oh, then we so carefully weigh the presence of hunger and wonder thing thumped again which of the many hungers might be satisfied at such a picnic I guess I've got a bit of a trick question for you Claudia if you ingested a dose of terminal hors d'oeuvre what's the best form of uh, psychic peptobismol to deal with the condition having a drink with Jane <laughs> Well, the circle turns around again. <laughs> sure does. Well, thanks a lot, Claudia, for joining me to share your song of the soul. Have a wonderful time on tour, and we hope to see more of you soon here in Wisconsin. Thanks. Thanks so much for including me in your in your little journey. That was singer-songwriter Claudia Schmidt sharing her song of the soul with us. You can find a link to her homepage at northernspiritradio.org. The theme music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson, and it's called Song of the Soul. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and this is a Northern Spirit Radio production. You can listen to this program again, track down the list of songs included, and a whole lot more on my website, northernspiritradio.org. And I invite you to share your Song of the Soul with my listeners. Just contact me via my website. And please, join me weekly for Song of the Soul. You can be happy Let in the light It will heal you And you can feel you And sing out a song of the soul